0: This is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ-Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ-Centered Cast. Matthew chapter 5, please bring me a copy of God's Word or click in your copy of God's Word on your phone or portable device, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16 today. It's probably in one of the more well-worn parts of your Bible, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father God, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to read it, to proclaim it, to share it with others. And I pray now that you would write on our hearts with it, that we'd be challenged and changed by it tonight. And ultimately, that as we go out, we would ultimately reflect the truth that we find therein tonight. It's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we've been going through this series, Disciples and Dragons, which of course has very uh openly taken themes from tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. We've looked at various things like uh the fact that God is our game master and that he created everything, including us, just like the game master creates the world that the players play in, as well as essentially telling what the rules and parameters are and enforcing consequences based on choice. We've also looked at the BBEG, or the Big Bad Evil Guy, which we know, of course, in our lives is Satan. And there are several images in Scripture that we find from, uh, that involve him, as well as strategies and how to have victory against those different themes that we see in the serpent, the lion, and the dragon. We've looked at other various concepts along the way, and here we are in Part 6. And along the course of an adventure, if you play a tabletop role-playing game long enough, you obviously go out and you fight your battles and you beat your enemies and you do those kind of things. But oftentimes, the game is not just fighting things and beating monsters and so forth. A lot of it also is about relationships and how we interact with one another. And we looked at that last week and the importance of maintaining good relationships with one another. Now... There are times as you're out and you're going and you're adventuring that you run across a town or a city or someplace new. There may be a quest there or some person that needs some kind of help or some such. But these are often new locations and new places that you end up going with new people and new problems. And essentially, when you go there, it's very important when you're playing the game, the kind of impression that you make when you arrive. I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen adventuring parties go to a new town, think that the solution to the problem is fireball, and chaos ensues. Fireball being a spell that destroys things. It just, they jump to that sometimes. It's a thing. And then everybody in town hates you, and no one wants to help you, and it's a, it's a mess. It's just a mess. Now, we've all had experiences where we've gone into a new situation with new people. Maybe it's a new town. Maybe it's a new city. But maybe, just maybe, you can remember the first day of school when you were younger, when you were a kid going up through the years. Summer ends. And while you're disappointed that summer has ended, you're looking forward a little bit to the new school or new grade with new classmates, a new teacher, uh, and all the different. There's an excitement there, right? And I don't know about you, but when I was really little, I would be nervous about it, and I would want to make sure that I had my favorite clothes, the right books, all those kinds of things, the kids that we care about. And so that I got when I got there the first day of school, I would make a good impression. People would look on me favorably, and I would want to see how everybody had changed over the course of the summer. Maybe it's your first day of work at a new job. And maybe you knew somebody, maybe they helped get you in there, but everybody else was new and you knew you'd have to build relationships with them and make an impression on them, a first impression, and hopefully a good impression. Maybe even at times you remember what it was like to look for a new church and have there be new people there wanting to make a good impression and to get along with others. We've all had experiences where we went into something for the first time and hoped to be well-received by others. And wherever that place was, we wanted to matter and make an impact where we went. Otherwise, we wouldn't care so much. And what we see here in the text today in Matthew chapter 5 is that after the Beatitudes, Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount shares with them what it means to be a Christian and how the choices that we make when we enter new situations and relationships with people matter because we make an impact on those around us. He wanted them to understand that it matters how they live, and he gave them a couple of images to aspire to in order to help them understand what it meant to meet new people and go into new situations and to make the biggest impact possible. Good impact, not fireball. So we see here as we look at the text that Jesus tells them ultimately to be two things, to be salt and light, to make an impression by being salt and light, to make an impact. And we find from this text that we make the biggest impact with others when we are, or by being, salt and light. So the first thing, the first image that we see here, the first thing that we see is Jesus Christ tells the disciples that if you're going to make the biggest impact as a Christian, so he has the Beatitudes, and then he has what we're going to see here is the be something else shortly. To make the biggest impact, you must be super salty. And some of you are going, I can do salty, I do salty all the time. Well, of course, that's not what I mean, but I knew I'd get that response from you. But he does, in fact, say you need to be really salty, but not that kind of salty. You need to be salt. And there are some particular reasons that apply to the Christian life and why it's so important to be super salty. We see first or understand first when we know salt and how it was used in the ancient world, even a little bit how we use it today, when it comes to being salt and making an impact by being super salty. We ultimately have to make others thirsty. And no, not like that either. <laughs> also intentional. It's important. You've got to understand this. Why? Because it's the same concept. It's just the world today has given it an inappropriate application. But it is the same concept. Jesus was telling the disciples that they needed to attract others. They needed to draw others. They needed others to be thirsty for the thing that they were missing in their lives, because that is what salt does. Go ahead and pound a large cheese fry, and then see if you don't want something to drink after. You will. Why? Because it's super loaded with salt. You want something to drink. And he told the disciples that they too needed to be salt, because salt ultimately draws people and creates a thirst for something outside of themselves. So we understand to make an impact, we need to be something or rather someone that draws others, that creates in them a recognition of a need that they don't have that we do. And of course, we know that to be Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. But salt not only prevents or creates thirst in others and creates uh, an attraction or a draw. Salt also does something uh, maybe even more important health-wise. In that it prevents decay. Salt prevents decay. I'm a big beef jerky guy, and beef jerky lasts a really, 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 really long time when it's made appropriately, and that's often quite salty. I love beef jerky. It preserves, it prevents decay and mold and all those kinds of things. I had a, a very important experience, a profound experience with salt when I was in my junior high years. Uh, my friends and I in the South, we rode a bunch of go-karts and four-wheelers and dirt bikes and all that kind of stuff. We did all that stuff down in the woods and all that. Well, there was one time that me and my friends built an actual go-kart out of some spare engine parts, and it worked, and it ran. So we're riding it around, and I made the mistake. I was coming around and turn really fast. I laid my leg down on the carburetor. Now, those of you who know anything about vehicles and machines, yeah, it, it, it smelled like a Whopper being cooked. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll just let you sit with that for a second. So I go home and I'm limping because I had literally burned down like several layers of skin along the side of my leg. Yeah. So I go in to my mom and you couldn't shake her. I could walk in missing a limb and she'd be like, oh, it's Tuesday. But she was a nurse her entire most of her life, most of her career. She was a nurse and she did everything nurse related. So I never, I didn't go to the hospital until I had a heart attack. That was my first time going to the hospital. But that didn't stop me from breaking and doing all kinds of things. She just fixed us at home because my mom was essentially a combination of a field medic and a witch doctor. So she said, I said, Are we, do we have to go to the hospital, Mom? She, no. So she whipped some things together, and she went and got one of my dad's five-gallon buckets from a construction or something, cleaned it out thoroughly, and then filled it with the hottest salt water I've ever felt in my entire life. And she's like, you're going to put your leg in that. <laughs> yeah, oh no is right. Oh no is right. That's what I said the entire time I had to hold my leg in there. But I had to do it because if I didn't, I would have risked an infection because it was a really bad burn. Salt prevents decay. It holds back bad things. And as Christians, we're called to be salt because Jesus Christ wants us to make a difference in the world around us and to essentially be a natural prevention to decay. That's our calling. Salt creates thirst, it prevents decay. But in order for salt to actually have its full worth, we find that salt has to be useful. It has to be useful. In fact, we must make others thirsty, we must also help prevent decay. But in doing so, we must have usefulness as our goal, as believers. Jesus Christ wants us to be useful. He gives you all the Beatitudes in the verses prior, and then in 13 through 16, he ultimately says, be useful. You see, in the verse we see here, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Luke, physician Luke, and you're not supposed to have favorite gospel writers probably, but if I did, it'd probably be Luke because he was a doctor before he wrote the gospel. And he writes a lot of fun details. If you ever read the gospel of Luke and compare it to the other gospels, Luke 14, 34, he also talks about this Jesus Christ talking about salt and his Christians being salt. 14, 34 of Luke says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Verse 35, it is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is to be thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is basically saying, listen up, folks. But Luke points out that if salt isn't salty, it's not even good in poop. I mean, I'm just going to call it like it is, because that's what he's saying. Now, any of you who've done gardening, I know we have a few people in the room who've done that once in a while. So, you guys have probably used fertilizers. And again, in the South, we used a lot of manure to grow things. Like it or not, those veggies, probably. So manure, though, has nutrients in it. It has salt. And that's why I always tell people, anytime you're talking with someone and they're saying things that you know not to be true or even hurtful or abusive or whatever, if you listen close enough, you might find some nutrients in all that manure because you find nutrients even in manure. There can be things that can be learned from ignorant people. That doesn't mean you have to indulge them all the time, but it does mean that sometimes God even speaks through donkeys. That's just the reality. He did it in the Bible. He does it in real life. So manure has value, but manure only has value as long as it is salty and has nutrients. God wants us, and Jesus Christ is calling us, to be usefulness. It must be useful. It must be our goal. We must have usefulness be our goal. We're going to make an impact when we're new in town and we encounter new people and new places and new experiences. We must be super salty. We must have a walk with the Lord that draws others to us and makes them thirsty for something that they're missing. We must help prevent decay and hold back the darkness in the world around us. And ultimately, we must strive to be useful. We have to have usefulness be our goal as believers. So we adopt the Beatitudes, and then we ultimately adopt be useful. So to make the biggest impact, we must be super salty, but he doesn't stop there. In verses 14 through 16, we find that also to make the biggest impact, we must be living light. Living light. So when we look at living light, of course, in these verses, we we talked, or Relay for Life was mentioned earlier in the song, You are My Hope. One of the most wonderful things about Relay for Life is that they have something called the Luminaria Ceremony, which is a bunch of candles in uh, little bags, little paper bags, and they spell out uh, cure and it changes into, or I'm sorry, it's a hope, hope and then cure, cure and then hope. Maybe someone you remember. It doesn't really matter though. But at the end of the day, part of the Luminaria ceremony is them rearranging on the stands these giant words with little paper bags with lights in them. And it's really powerful and impactful. The letters change into different words through the course of the ceremony, and it's super powerful because it's happening while you're walking around the track in basically silence. And their attention is drawn back to the word change. It attracts our attention because it is light. And it's light that points to something. And ultimately, the draw, or rather the drive behind the ceremony is to give people hope. To realize that there is hope in the midst of dark times. And as light, that's what we do as well. When Jesus Christ calls us to be light, he calls us to give hope. He says, you're the light of the world. Little light, like back at Christmas where we talked about big Christmas lights and we're little Christmas lights because Jesus is the big one. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We must give hope, and we can give hope through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We also do something else. Light does something else. A lot of pastors that I've known over the years have really enjoyed the lighthouse as an image. Can't tell you how many pastors I've known that have pictures of lighthouses in their offices, and that's great. My whole thing was always superheroes. But some people like lighthouses. Why? Because lighthouses offer direction. They offer direction. They show people the way to go. They not only give them hope, but they give them a way in which to see the dangers and to hopefully avoid them, and to help bring them safely into port. We, too, offer direction as Christians. If we're living light like Christ calls us to be, we are drawing people or showing them the way to Jesus Christ, who said himself that he is, in fact, the light of the world. So, again, little lights to a much bigger light. And that's what we're called to do. To be living light, we give hope. We also offer direction to the light of the world. And again, not surprisingly at all, we find in Mark this reference again, 421 of Mark. And he said to them, "Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, he adds, or under a bed and not on a stand. Why does he, why is that verse there? Why is it mentioned in this way here in Mark? It's because the third Subpoint of this idea of being living light is exactly the same as a third subpoint of being salt. It ultimately all comes down to being useful. We must have usefulness as our goal. Because when a light is brought in to give light, we don't put it under something because then what? It serves no purpose. And if anything, it's a waste of space. Christ wants us to be useful. Be useful. We must have usefulness as our goal. Now, as we look at these two concepts that we see here in Scripture, being super salty and being living light, and you look at your own life, does Jesus look at you and say, that person, that Christian, that believer, that one that I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for, are they useful? Is their life making a difference at all wherever they go? Do people notice that they're even new in town? Or do they just blend right in with everyone else doing everything else that everyone else is doing? As we look at this text, we learn ultimately that Jesus Christ told us as Christians, we make the biggest impact with our lives when we are salt and when we are light. And bow your head and close your eyes. After looking at this text, I ask the question, do you want your life to impact others? In a meaningful way. Do you want your life to make a difference. When God moves you into different spaces and places. And crosses you with different people. If the word of God tonight has led to a conviction in your heart. That has led you to wanting to make a difference with your life. To be salt and light. I want to encourage you first. Tell God that you realize that your life has the potential to impact others. Tell God that you realize that your life can be used by him to make a difference. Sometimes, as Christians, we're told by the world and by Satan that our life doesn't matter and that we can't do anything of of meaning and value. And that is a lie. That's a lie right from the dragon. First, you have to realize your life has the potential to make an impact and that God wants you to. Tell him that you realize that and that you know it. And then make a commitment to God that you're going to look to and to depend on him to be that salt and light. Because we can only be those things by his grace. Make a commitment to God that you're going to look to Him, that you're going to draw on Him for strength in order to be that salt and light that He wants you to be because God doesn't call us to do things and be things that He doesn't give us the power and ability to do. Make a commitment to God you're going to look to Him that you're going to depend on to be that salt and light in the lives of others. Father God, thank you so much for this text. Thank you for calling us to be salt and light. For showing us what that means and why usefulness is the most important part of being those things. God, I pray that we would be useful and choose to be useful for you, Lord, no matter where we go. That others would notice us and be drawn to you and be pointed to you as the light of the world. And we thank you for seeing our value, the value that we have only in you. To be able to make a difference at all with our everyday lives. And in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless as you go forth to preach, teach, and reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Christ Centered Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.